And uh, that's the most fun. I uh, have done a lot of international work, but have been living in the States for the last you know, few decades. And um, I prefer an international crowd. I used to go to uh, organizational development seminars, conferences, where the Americans were in the minority. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's all American, you know, culture, um, and uh, I prefer the richness of of many cultures. Yes, me too. And actually, with this COVID and pandemic, this richness is getting closer and closer. There are no boundaries. Yes, yes, we're more often finding ourselves. Um, uh, instead of thinking, well, I can't go to that conference, we're like, well, let's just Zoom. So that's mm-hmm. fun. And yeah. thank you for organizing this. My pleasure. We will go live now. So we are live. So I think we also are just right on time and can start. So hello, everybody. I would like to welcome all of you from different countries and different time zones. This is my pleasure to co-host this event, this live session with Annette Simons. This is great pleasure for me. Uh, today's, uh, my name is Lela Machaitze. I'm professional project manager, and I'm in this field for more than 70 years, working with different customers from all over the world. I'm really passionate about anything related to project management, leadership. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit my social media sites where I put tips and tricks, which could be beneficial for you. Couple of words about today's agenda. Uh, today's uh, meeting, the session, will be Q&A session. Uh, Annette and I will talk about the storytelling and tools and techniques. And the qu- you are welcome to post your questions in the chat section. We will be addressing them later. Today's session will be recorded and we will post it on the YouTube site so you can watch it later or share with your colleagues and friends. So now it's time to present my co-host and she's author of the the book, the best book about storytelling, which is in the list of 100 best books of all times written. So Annette, welcome. And I'm from Georgia Caucasus region and Annette from the United States. Hi. Right. Hi. Hi. Yeah. The um, it was the 100 best business books of all time. I wouldn't compete with the great literature literary giants, but yeah, that. Um, and then I wrote "Whoever Tells the Best Story Wins," which is kind of a workbook um, based on the six stories. And most recently, uh, "Drinking from a Different Well," which is about women's stories and how we 
interpret power differently. Um, okay, these live sessions, which we are organizing, are based on the uh, selections of the best books, which can be beneficial for project managers. Uh, I was recently, just before the session, talking with Annette why I picked the, uh, picked the book about storytelling. Project manager's job, 70, 80%, is communication with the project team, with different stakeholders, with vendors. So most of the time, and one of the criteria of success of the project is based on how well project manager can communicate. So uh, to start our conversation, I want to align ourselves about the understanding, how we understand the story and storytelling how you understand, what is your understanding of it? Well, it's, it's very personal. They say all books are autobiographical. Um, and I remember in high school, I wasn't part of the, the cool kids group. And I was like, I wonder why. And so um, I started studying psychology. Uh, and so I studied transactional analysis and rational motive therapy. And it was really my urge to be part um, initially. And then when I got, um, I got my master's in adult ed and psych, um, I was teaching leadership and leadership, uh, the way that you teach leadership implies the philosophies you have about who we are and why we're here. And so I, I discovered that, that uh, there are no hard and fast rules. Um, and especially having lived in Australia for so long, when I uh, hit Australia, I was the ugly American and my cultural assumptions, uh, which is, you know, we are the best, God forgive us, um, were beaten out of me. The Australians had a wonderful sense of humor. Um, and so that's when I learned that my narrative about how the world works is not the same as everybody else's narrative, but I was still interested in groups. And so I, my, Studying the dynamics of group uh, led me to understanding how turf wars happen, how people get their ego battles. And so I did research on that because everyone said, oh, no, that didn't happen. And I was thinking, I just saw it happen. So I would have them tell me stories. And so I found out that stories are much more accurate about what uh, the, the emotional and the technical things that are going on. And Every time I facilitated dialogue, uh, I realized that, so my goal was to get people to tell the truth in the room, instead of after the meeting, when you go into the bathroom and you check for feet and you say, well, that was a big waste of time. You know, uh, my idea was, if, it, if you think it's a waste of time, say it in the room. And so I created this, this ability to facilitate dialogue where people actually tell each other the truth, which is the most efficient you know, aspect of communication I can think of. Um, and I had to change the norms of the group. And so one of the things that I'd like to pull out from communication, and you, when you think about your job as a communicator, your job is also to establish norms for the group so that um, at, at, the, at the very least that people feel safe enough to tell the truth. Um, that people feel like they can come up with a crazy idea and then if it doesn't work, nobody's going to make fun of them. 
And so a lot of the communication is the norms. And that's when I started using storytelling as a facilitation tool. So I would have a group come in and um, I always, there's going to be some egos involved somewhere. Um, and so I, uh, I would, would talk about those people, you know, that, that go off and try to do it all by themselves or who are, you know, maybe critical of others instead of inspiring. And I'm telling a story that doesn't necessarily have to do with any specific person in the room. But it is a great way to communicate to get them to see themselves as others see them. And so in, in helping people change their behavior, storytelling is a great way to help them change their behavior in the privacy of their own mind. They never have to admit, oh, you're right, I've been such a jerk. Um, but after a story, maybe on the inside, they'll think, well, okay, I'll try something different. And then it began to grow from there. Uh, when I understand group process, and that's been really the only thing I've studied, um, that's, that's my fascination, there's a polarity between uh, participation and control. And so if you get too controlling, then you're expecting everybody to be obedient, which is mean, I don't want you to think, I just want you to do what I say. Well, that's not very, you know, that's not recruiting their imaginations to help solve the problem. And so then I began to realize that storytelling is, is a way to not be controlling. Um, whereas, you know, I want us to move towards this vision, but instead of saying, uh, using management by objective sort of criteria, which is exactly when, where, and how we're going to end up user experience uh, process has, has exploded the idea that we don't know where, when, or you know, how we're gonna end up because things are changing. And so stories are just so much uh, better in keeping us on the same page without reducing us to some preordained destination that may not be relevant two months from now. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, so many things resonated with me while you were talking, uh, for example, about the norms, about the, the atmosphere there is, where there is no controlling. It reminds me the agile methodology that in project management we exercise a lot. For example, when Scrum Master needs to, the, one of the responsibilities of the Scrum Master to establish the ecosystem among the team when they feel sa safety. Yes. Where they can easily say what are the challenges and obstacles they are experiencing. So it really resonates me. And it tells me more about the need of having a skill uh, in the projects of telling uh, stories. Well, and understanding what norms you're going for, you know, one of the uh, problems with competitive reasoning is that it, it, it infiltrates your brain into thinking there are winners and losers. And once you're operating on the basis of winners and losers, then nobody feels safe because nobody wants to be the loser and, and everybody wants, or most people want to be the winner. And it's actually degrading to psychological safety. So one of the stories I tell, and you can you can tell somebody intellectually, and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's these old stories, like for instance, King Midas, <clears throat> who who wished that everything he touched would turn to gold. 
So that is the, the, the uh, quintessential um, competitive narrative. I win all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem with that narrative is when his little daughter ran up to him and he went to pick her up, he turned her to a dead, cold statue of gold. And so uh, I used the King Midas story to talk about how isolating it is to think that, that you know, one of the, the phrases people use, these metaphors that people use in our cultures teach us kind of what their values are. In the, in, in the United States, a lot of people will say failure is not an option. Well, that's like saying, I would like to be blind to every piece of incoming data that indicates that, um, you know, this isn't working. Um, and so you end up with, with uh, people staying silent uh, if you run around saying failure is not an option. And failure is not only an option, it's inevitable. We're all going to die. I mean, you know, it's just this, this unrealistic way of looking at life uh, that, that impedes our progress on these projects. Um, and so uh, the other story I use a lot is a, the five blind men, uh, each describing an elephant. Elephant is long and slender like a snake. Well, this other guy is like, you're an idiot. An elephant is wide and flat and leathery. And if you're in a competitive uh, narrative, then then each opinion, each point of view is competing for dominance. So if the guy who's holding the trunk of the elephant is, is a bully or, or even spectacularly eloquent, Um, that people will start to think that that's the only point of view. And collaborative narratives uh, invite everybody to describe their piece of the elephant, Um, knowing that we end up with a bigger picture. Even when we hear from people we think we don't want to hear from, we learn something. Um, And so these stories uh, are, are the way that we describe our part of the elephant. So it's, it's evolution. Um, the way I look at storytelling is through the lens of evolution. And, and while we have genetics and DNA that pass down, you know, uh, details of whether, whether we have um, furry hides or smooth skins and all that sort of stuff, uh, the storytelling <clears throat> is the DNA of how we survive. Um, what's, what's a good person? What's a bad person? Um, what is it that will cause people to want to help you? Um, and these stories, we, as children, we learn these stories and we forget that once we become adults, we're still just as susceptible to stories. And so we may as well choose the ones that produce the, the best outcome. I see. Um, I want to read the secret mission from your site, which really impressed me. And it was one of the biggest impressions that I received. Uh, And it reads, my secret mission is to increase the diversity of thought by teaching those without voice how to tell their stories and by teaching leaders how to find, find and retell untold stories that broaden everyone's understanding. Isn't that brilliant? 
That's well, amazing. We're not going to survive these problems we have if we don't start increasing the number of people that get heard. And actually, uh, even the title tells a story, the secret mission. It's already story itself. Well, uh, and, and, and it's, you know, it was very much my experience because a lot of these things, when I started consulting with organizations back in the early 90s and teaching leadership, um, my mentor uh, actually was, was one of the, the people on the cutting edge of, of understanding um, how kindness uh, and, and being of service um, really makes you a leader. And so we would run these self-awareness workshops and um, we had a lot of banks as clients and a lot of the executives came because they were jerks um, and, and it wasn't working for them, you know, they would, so they would come to these self-awareness workshops. And what I learned is every single one of those jerks who you think just doesn't care what anybody thinks you know, and is willing to bulldoze over, over everybody. <clears throat> I would see men like this um, tell a story. One of the ones I remember is, is he was talking about when he was seven years old and his five-year-old brother drowned. Uh, they were both in the lake together and his father blamed him and never forgave him because he let his younger brother drown. That guy had lived under this abusive story um, and had put up his armor uh, that turned him into a jerk um, because it was his only survival mechanism he could think of. What I learned in hearing hundreds and hundreds of leaders' stories is that everybody has a story. And the story they're using is the, is the best one they've come up with to date. Um, and a lot of times it's designed to be defensive or to push people away. Um, and so giving them a chance to change their behavior often required that I interact with them in a way that's not based on just what their behavior is, but I interact with them in a way that acknowledges that there's much more of their story that I have not yet understood. Um, and that builds a sense of safety uh, to where maybe their defenses can come down a bit and then we can connect. And one of the things that uh, with project management, <clears throat> this is that we're, for a long time, we were taught that you know, it's, uh, it, there's, there's a distinction between what's relevant and what's not relevant. And um, if anything that's not technically relevant uh, is inefficient. Well, I run workshops where I have people tell the story of how they got their name. Or I will start out a group facilitation where, um, you know, what's the best mentor you've ever met? And when we share these stories, it changes the, uh, the ecosystem of, of the group and it changes the field and it changes the norms um, in a way that gets more information flowing. Even though it's gonna contrast, one of the problems that, um, <clears throat> that, that groups can have is they see a conflict 
and they think it's a battle to win. Mm -hmm. But, um, and a lot of people who have described what storytelling is says there's a main conflict and then a resolution. I don't, I don't experience it that way. I see that all of our stories illustrate contrast um, because there are, <clears throat> there are aspects of being human that are paradoxical. Sometimes you need to be firm and clear, and sometimes you need to be open and understanding. And anybody who's expecting to find it just one thing uh, isn't interested in storytelling because storytelling can include, well, it depends. So I'll always uh, ask people to think about, <clears throat> you know, do you want to stay alive? Yes. Well, um, do you want to breathe? Yes. Well, do you want to breathe in or do you want to breathe out? Which is it? Make up your mind. And the truth is that we have to both breathe in and breathe out. <clears throat> and there are paradoxes in group process uh, that include, um, is it, is it uh, for the individual or is it for the group? And while our cultures tend to, for instance, Japan would be more the group. They use the metaphor of the protruding nail invites the hammer. Mm -hmm. um, I hit that in Australia. They also have what they call the tall poppy syndrome. You know, those who rise above the rest. And here I was taught, taught to be an American going, hey, I'm good at this, this, and this. And I just, they beat it on me. Um, but, but these paradoxes and how to deal with the paradox can only be addressed by story. Because only story can handle the paradox that it's both and. Um, one of the, the big cultural differences is, is specificity versus uniformity. And so you end up with a culture where one size fits all, everybody gets treated the same, and that's their definition of fair. Or you end up in a culture where specificity means that, that it depends. If this person needs more, we give them more. And, and <clears throat> while that has, has, you know, culture is basically we're tired of making up answers to unanswerable questions. So we just pretend like one is true or the other, but that one is embedded in all groups because it's both and, and understanding the, the when, where, and how to, to be concerned about you as an individual, you know, I want to make sure that my voice is heard. And as a group member, uh, my job is also to shut up and make sure other people's voices are heard. Um, we all agree, and the people, participants who are here, know the importance of the storytelling. Now, uh, you have six kinds of storytelling, and this is these are the six kinds of storytelling which consist the whole communication. Can you tell us more details about each of them? When, who, how should we use them? Because when I read it, project managers should be using all of them. And those are very practical tools, which you can be prepared in advance. And no surprises are there. Stories does not really come out of nowhere, but you just prepare as well as you prepare for your, for example, status review report. Yeah. So, so yes, and, and, and it is my fascination with groups. 
that caused my fascination with story. And so unlike a lot of people who maybe came from literature or theater and their understanding of story, which is very often the hero's story where you, you know, you find a dragon and you kill him. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my, I'm interested in dragons. I think they probably have some very interesting things to say. Um, and so I developed this over 30 years based on what made groups work better together and what caused problems. And so the, the number one story that people want from you is they want to know who you are and why you're here. And we make the mistake when we think it's obvious who we are and why we're here. Um, some people uh, signing on to this may, may think of me that I'm, I'm here just because I want to sell books. Um, and, and yet when I tell my stories, my hope is that they begin to realize I'm actually a good person. Um, and the thing is that you can't walk into a room and say, hi, my name is Annette and I'm trustworthy because people are going to have the exact opposite reaction. Storytelling is a way that you can give them a little glimpse into your life when you could have done the wrong thing, but you decided to do the right thing. And when nobody's watching, because that's the only time it really matters, um, nobody would know that story unless you told it. And so sometimes I tell a story about um, how I was running a workshop about how to facilitate dialogue and I got a, a call from a client. I had 10 spaces in the workshop because it's very intense work. And she said, I want to send five people. Well, the other five that were enrolled already, they had been, they were paying their own way. They were, you know, independent consultants. And if this huge company brought five in, I felt like, well, that wouldn't be fair to the other people. And so I said, well, we could take two, you know, and then do three next time. Um, and she said, are you turning down my registrations? And I went, I'm, uh, it's possible you could interpret it that way, but I'm really trying to make sure that everybody has the best experience possible. Anyway, she hung up on me and I never did get the, you know, but that's a story about what my values are and integrity, uh, inevitably requires you to, uh, uh, it costs you money or it costs you time. And so what people want to know is not what information you have to give. They want to know that they can have faith in you. In the unpredictable future consequences where everything turns upside down, they want to know that they can still depend on you to share their values about what's fair and what's just. Mm -hmm. And so that's the who I am story. And then the why I'm here story, um, for a lot of people, uh, certainly in, in uh, some high-tech corporate environments, uh, a lot of managers, uh, you've heard of the bro culture, where they're all about, you know, exploiting everything so that they get their own big bonus in the end. And so if that's why you're here, um, then, then everybody knows anyway. So you may as well share the story and talk about, you know, how we can work together. But if you're a person of integrity and you're here because you have, uh, like a lot of us, a, a, a distinct sense that we have got to do something to improve the world and the way that we're dealing with climate change and all that, that sort of thing, then we, we can connect on a much deeper level. Yes, we're here to produce results for our, our corporate um, uh, employers, However, um, we're also uh, on, the, on the tribe uh, 
in the tribe who wants to make things better. A vision story. Uh, you can't just say, I want to hit 5 billion in, in 2.3 years. That's kind of dry. Um, but when you talk about your vision um, uh, in terms of a story, then it in invites the imagination of your listeners. And so one of the issues that we do when we hand out our vision um, already accomplished is, is, you know, with all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, uh, it excludes other people. But a story, um, if you can imagine, uh, one of the, the stories I tell about um, uh, trust is that, that trust, everybody's waiting on somebody else to go first. Uh, and if you're going to be a trust builder, then, then you need some good skills in going first, being able to recover in case it didn't reciprocate it. Um, but, but even, and I would even say going first, uh, and if it's not reciprocated, giving a second chance. That's not in a lot of people's repertoire, but it is, it gets you, you know, at least 20, 30% more uh, alignment than you would if you just gave up. Um, so the story I tell is about Moses, uh, uh, who in the Christian, well, and Jude Jewish uh, tradition was promised by God that he could escape the Pharisees and that when they got to the Red Sea, the sea would part and they would be able to escape. And then the Egyptians couldn't, couldn't. Well, um, the, the Midrash story is that, that Moses is at the edge of the sea and ain't nothing happening. And the Egyptians are getting closer and closer. Um, and he's like, oh, God, you told me you would, you would help. What are we going to do? It's crisis time. And it wasn't until a child stepped into the water as an act of faith that the waters parted. And so when I'm working with a group, uh, one of my goals is always going to be to try to get somebody to go first um, and, and continue that in a virtuous uh, spiral. So that's the vision story. Uh, I think teaching stories, you don't need, go ahead. Vision stories, being the first, usually being the first really takes you guts and courage to do that. Yes. Because if you don't feel there is the right ecosystem and security and safety, safe environment for you, um, you expect people to be judgmental. And That's right. Especially in the projects. When you just started the, the project, you may know people who you start the project with, but you may have a project with people who you don't know at all. So you have, you know, you have very short, limited time to build the trust and build the faith. So you go to a team development stage when they start performing and giving their productive results. Well let me let me back you up a little bit because this is when I teach um, most of what I'm doing is teaching virtual uh, storytelling workshops for people who are so high tech nobody knows what they're talking about um, and and uh, a lot of them they're brilliant people but um, they're concerned they're going to be boring. Mm -hmm. And and so it's kind of the same way is if I go first they'll exploit me. 
Um, so, the, so the story that I recommend is, is that you recheck the story you're telling yourself about your audience. Mm-hmm. If you expect rejection from your audience, then you tend to deal with them in a way that's defensive. Mm-hmm. And so when I teach people how to give good presentations, a lot of times they're afraid of their audience. Sure. You know, I want to, I want to do good. I don't think they're going to like me. That's natural. The problem is that it's a very disdainful attitude to have about your audience, that they're dangerous. Um, and so I ask people to change the story they're telling themselves about their audience. And one of my favorite ways to do that is if I'm training you how to um, uh, give a presentation, I ask you, what, what story are you telling about your audience? And wouldn't it be interesting if you thought about your job in making a presentation as training your audience to pay attention? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're training them to pay attention, then I recruit the metaphor of, of how do you train a puppy? You don't blame the puppy because the puppy's distracted and wanted to chase something down on their cell phone or whatever. You don't blame them. It's, it's, you know, it's our job to, to train the puppy. And so we need two things. We need eye contact and we need treats. Mm-hmm. And in our presentation, when we deliver a treat, my experience is it's simply a dose of human pres- presence. Mm-hmm. We are so automated and so virtual and so disconnected that we're, we're running low on uh, the sense of connection. And so when we change the story, we tell ourselves about the audience, then because vision stories are the most likely to sound corny, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about that. It's just the way it is. I've been doing this for decades. Um, and, and so we have to trust our audience. Um, and so that's, uh, thank you for bringing that up because it's important the story you tell yourself about your group. Absolutely. And you have to do this type of uh, stories, not only with your project team, um, uh, which is probably at the initiation stage in the formation, but you talk the way with your stakeholders, with your customers, with your beneficiaries, with your end users. So how you construct and how do you know which story to use? Well, you ask for stories first. You, um, and, and let me tell you, uh, so there were 400 people signed up for this thing. Before I, I, I came on, <clears throat> I went and looked at every single one of their names because, and where everybody's from. I mean, there was even somebody from Jamshedpur, India, which is like my best friend was born in Jamshedpur. I've been there, you know, all these places I've been, Egypt, um, uh, the, you know, Bucharest, uh, just, just so exciting to me. And that's the way I get engaged. Uh, the other thing I did was I, I looked at um, Tbilisi's uh, folklore background. Mm-hmm. So there's a story uh, about your uh, uh, about Tbilisi and how it got got founded. Do you do you know that story? Just a little bit of it. Yes, of course. And the name is actually generated how it was founded. So what you read, it would be interesting to hear. But I want to hear what you you have to say, because this is, I'm making a point here. 
this is about the hunting the king did the hunting and during the hunting uh, there was a the, the bird that the king killed and it dropped in the warm water so word by word if you translate peasant actually and how you translate this uh, it calls the warm waters the name of uh, our capital is the uh, warm waters if you translate yes. word by yeah. word so so i would probably start out with a version of that story and 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 the metaphor of the warm waters. What is it that brings us back alive again? Mm -hmm. And so we're here sharing our stories in a way that's kind of like you know the warm waters where that are reviving us. And so that's how I figure out um, what story to tell. Is is every every group. Every business I work, you know, with some of the high tech businesses, and I ask them to tell me uh, a story about what what it's like to work there. Mm -hmm. And once I get one story, usually I can retell that story in a way that's not as negative as as I first got, <laughs> um, but is recognizably evidence that I have investigated and taken my time to understand my audience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what I'm hoping will cause them to decide to trust me, mm -hmm. um, by my behaviors and the stories I tell, because ultimately your, your peers are going to decide whether you're trustworthy or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it's our job to, you know, get them to work a little harder, a little faster, uh, the stories they make up about us may not be as kind mm -hmm. <laughs> as we'd like to think. So um, finding their stories, uh, there are human universal truths. Uh, every single one of us has, has been betrayed. Every single one of us has been forgiven when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been really grateful nobody saw what we just did. Mm -hmm. And so when we share these universal stories, we uh, connect on a, on a human level and then we can move on to the work. But I think it's really important to share these stories. And not only once we connect on a human level, it's, there's always a lesson there. Um, when I tell a story about what it's like to be betrayed, uh, everybody there knows what it's like. And then I, I ran workshops for diversity in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, the racial issues are just horrible there. Um, and I had them tell stories of inclusion and exclusion. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that everybody knows what it feels like to be excluded. The problem is white people don't quite know how often black people are excluded. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so what I would do is have them share their stories. And it was instructional. Uh, about how, who we are, how we really want to be treated, and how we want to treat others. We have a little poll here, and while we are discussing, our participants can answer this, so we, we can continue. <laughs> okay, well, I was going to try to answer it, but I don't, I don't know how. It won't move. There it goes. It moved to the side. Okay, so what were we talking about? We were talking about... Um, the six stories, and we got through the vision. Yes, and vision. Uh, when we talked who I am, 
anybody can use it, especially at the beginning of the project. And while you have a new team members in the project, you always can use it. So, and- And I would, I would also say, uh, I've used it at an impasse situation. Uh-huh. So a lot of times I get called in to facilitate dialogue when it looked like, you know, they were about to break up the, the firm or, or, or whatever. And um, uh, so I would come in, like I'm thinking about a bunch of doctors and they were all specializing in different things. And um, uh, I had them and they were about to split the practice. They were, they were sick of each other. They were angry at each other. And I started the conversation. Why did you become a doctor? Mm -hmm. And when they revisited their incredible, you know, real positive intent, um, they found a, a space where they saw each other anew. So that's a, a, another good place to use the who I am story. Mm -hmm. And the visionary story. Should this be used? Actually, I, 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 I read the, the, the article and that's why I know the startups, should they be using this more and why? Well, <clears throat> The, the vision needs to be something that everybody gets into. Um, so what happens is that you don't come up with a vision by yourself. Um, or some people do, some geniuses do, and then they sell it to the rest of us. And, uh, but, but even they uh, understand they need the input of others. And so the vision is, is something that it's kind of like the, the UX, uh, the agile process where you do discovery and you're, you're looking at everybody else's stories, um, probably doing a little research on your own. Um, one of the things uh, uh, I'll do is I'll ask people to draw a picture of their vision for this group. Incredibly informative and very democratic because not everybody can draw. So whoever the, the, the over talkers are, um, they're, they're, uh, reduced to the same level that everybody else is. Can you draw a picture of what our vision is? And you end up getting insights from, from areas that, you know, people who you didn't even think were paying attention. Um, and so you end up collectively creating uh, a vision story. And then I think every time you tell your vision story, understand that it's, it's, it's a prototype and you're going to reiterate. Um, and, and that's the, the way to keep it, uh, collaborative. I see. I see. And, uh, we have three more kinds of stories, which are the teaching story, which is real simple. It's, it's, um, you know, uh, in, in medical field, uh, we don't want somebody to learn the damage of the wrong dose uh, the, the, you know, in real life. So we tell stories about what happened when somebody didn't recheck their, their, um, patient's, uh, ID bracelet three times and all that sort of stuff. So that's a teaching story. That's just helping people to avoid mistakes by learning from stories. Um, and, uh, uh, there's, let's see, teaching value and action stories. Okay. So that's, the uh that's where we're creating our norms um uh so for some people you know integrity means uh keeping their mouth shut for some it means speaking up and and so that one value if you can have everybody tell a story about what integrity means to them it it 
uh, it, it simultaneously briefs every single other person on what all the other people are, are there. And it gives us a, more of a common ground so that we can have a conversation. Um, one of the things with, with dialogue, uh, back in the day, people had ground rules. Um, and so they would just invoke these ground rules. You know, everybody tells the truth, everybody's open and affirming, whatever. And it didn't change their behavior. What I did was I asked people, okay, so um, what, what's things that have gone wrong in a project before? And what are things that have gone right um, that you can deliver as a value and action story? And when you pull from the group, you end up getting on the same page. And then finally, uh, I know what you're thinking stories. So I walk into many situations and these people are not happy to see me. I'm, I'm help, helping them come overcome their turf wars, you know, and the guy who's winning doesn't want me there because, you know, he's, he's going to dominate the whole thing. Uh, and so I ended up with, with many situations where I knew that there were somebody there that just didn't want me there. And they didn't want me there because I thought I was going to ruin everything. So I can tell a story about a time when I was in charge of, of a, a project and things weren't working right. And I called somebody in and, you know, I was the action plan queen. I knew exactly how to take a project, divide it into the little task and give everybody their little task and would wonder why nothing happens. <laughs> and it was because I wasn't an inclusive leader. And so when I tell that story on me, Ideally, the person in the room who's like, oh, great, this is going to be a complete waste of time. And, I'm, you know, then they think in the privacy of their mind, they get a chance to see that I see their objection. I validate it. Um, and this is another way to look at it. Uh, so instead of getting defensive, um, I, I try to validate people's objections with these. I know what you're thinking stories. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And what I really liked about the values you said, instead of telling your team members, so we have to be respectful to each other, you say it by stories. So you have maybe 10, 15 values, which you want your team, project team to have and share those values, like, like respect each other, respect time and the different values. But for each cases, you can have pre-prepared those stories. Right. Yeah, I have my go-to, my King Midas story is a real go-to story. Um, uh, another one I, I tell is about Nasruddin. Do we have time for a story? Yes, we do. Okay, so Nasruddin is, is a, a character from Sufi literature. Um, he is the wise old fool. Uh, and, uh, you know, those come in the same package a lot, you know. Uh, and so he, a lot of his stories are teaching stories in, in the Sufi tradition. And so there's one story about how he, he was going to go speak to a village for three weeks in a row. And um, basically he was coming to preach. And so all the people, you know, they didn't have their own preacher. This guy was supposed to be smart. So they crowded into the room and they're waiting for him to speak. And he looks out and he goes, my beloved people, who amongst you knows that of which I speak? And the people stood up and they said, we do. We know that of which you speak. 
And then Nasruddin threw his robe over his shoulder and he said, well, then there's no need of me here. And he just left. Well, the next week, he's gone shopping in the market. He's, he's checked out the camels. He's done everything but prepare his words to touch the minds of, of people. And he's, you know, I figured I'll just wing it again. So the next week, he stands in front of the room. And this time, the people had, had come up with the plan. They knew that the last time that didn't work. So he, he says, my beloved people, who amongst you knows that of which I speak? And this time the people said, we are poor, simple people. We do not know that of which you speak. And Esther Dean threw his robe over his shoulder. He goes, well, then there's no need of me here. And he walks out. The third week, everybody in the, in the village had gotten together. They had a plan. And sure enough, here he comes. My beloved people, who amongst you knows that of which I speak? And this time half of the people said, we are simple, poor and simple. We do not know that of which you speak. And the other half said, we do. We know that of which you speak. And Master Dean said, well, if those of you who know will tell those who don't. <laughs> There's no need of me here. <laughs> and I tell that story a lot of time when I'm beginning a facilitation, just because I don't want anybody to think I'm the expert. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one with knowledge in here. You guys, and certainly with storytelling, if you're breathing, it's your birthright to be a storyteller. You, you were brought up on stories. Um, uh, you crave stories. It's just, it's just the way we learn how to be good people. And um, so I want people to feel emboldened and empowered that this isn't rocket science. Um, it's, it's something that your instincts, you can rely on your instincts uh, to to tell mm -hmm. and what i really enjoyed in your these six kind of stories is that nobody is born with this skill you can learn it but you have to prepare in advance for it so you should have a big suitcase of stories well i think i think more that 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 we get it trained out of us any of us in the last few decades, any of us who've gotten an MBA would think that, you know, it's all about the metrics and, and, and that's the way we manage people. But we know different because it dehumanizes people to only manage them by the metrics. And so what happened is that we got so inundated with, with data that we forgot to pay attention to what, what is natural, which is the storytelling. And so the reason I get paid right now is that what used to be natural has, has gotten squeezed out um, in the way that we do work. And now we're having to put it back in because we realize we, we can't do great work without it. Yeah. Um, Annette, how do you find these stories do they work with the millennials and new generation? Do they really listen those stories? How it is to work with them? I, I, if I'm working with millennials, I'm going to ask them to tell me their stories. And I'm going to validate the hell out of them. <laughs> um, and, then, and then we can move into, you know, me earning a right to share my story. But I'm a boomer. And so millennials um, have, have, you know, you've heard of the, the phrase, okay, boomer. Mm -hmm. um, they are mocking us all the time. And frankly, I, I don't blame them. You know, we've made some big mistakes in terms of climate change and, and 
divisive politics and stuff like that, and they can't afford a house. And so I'm not going to deal with a millennial uh, as if that person needs me to tell them what to do, because they've seen a lot, my experiences, they've seen a lot of things we've done, they're just stupid. And they're a lot more receptive when I, I acknowledge and validate um, that their generation has, has, has been put in an unenviable position. And so, but the, at the other time, I have faith in them that they have integrity. All we need to do is ask them to tell about it. So I will ask them to tell me stories um, because they're very resistant to some boomer giving them advice. And we're not that sneaky that we can tell a story and it doesn't look like we're trying to give them advice. So one, one of the things when I was uh, learning about communication, and this is something that, that I have kept and used <clears throat> on an almost daily basis, which is, are you coming from a place of superiority or a place of equality? Mm -hmm. um, and if I've got my boomer finger out, you know, that's a place of superiority. No wonder they're not going to respond. Uh, are you being descriptive or are you being judgmental? Are you saying, so you people are angry, which is judgmental, as opposed to saying, I noticed that you clenched your fist or that y'all started whispering when, can you share a little bit about that? Because I don't understand it and I need to. Um, so I'm talking about the description of their behaviors and I'll let them tell me what they mean. And then the, the third thing is to be provisional with my language. Um, instead of saying, you know, uh, this is what leaders need to know how to do, I will say uh, a lot of people think leaders, you know, need to, to, to pay attention to, which is very different. It's not directive. It's not um, uh, superior. And so when I deal with millennials, I, I, I really pay attention to being provisional, being descriptive. Um, and speaking from a place of equality. Yeah. And deep respect. And deep respect. Actually, the respect and I, the, I, I always remember the story about my son who was 15 years old and went to study in England. And one, it, it was his first trip to, to abroad. And, uh -huh. and he came back from the English school. Uh, it was, he was out for more than two months. When he came back and when I asked him what was the most impressive so while you were traveling, I was expecting him to say some like malls or some like big buildings or Heathrow Airport. It was the, the biggest airport for him in the life. But he told me, he said, the most impressive for me was the respect, the respect that people had towards the 15 years old guy. He was riding a bicycle and everybody was like respecting him, writing, not really knowing the roads and teaching him. But he said the respect they showed me toward me was the best and the most impressive thing that I remember. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was amazing. And I remember that story for all my life. So and, and, and we don't realize we show little signs of disrespect all the time because because we're busy and we're irritated. And we don't have time and we don't realize that we're actually sending signs of disrespect. 
Um, so the curative for that um, is it's, it's kind of an I know what you're thinking story. If you tend to be that personality, so I know what my flaws are. Um, and I can get really enthusiastic about an idea and I can overtalk people. Um, and, and I'm always being careful of it. Well, I tell a story about a time I regretted it, uh, doing that. Um, and in a way what happens is, is, is I'm not promising not to be that way, but I am promising permission for somebody to call me out and know that I won't get defensive. Um, and so that's, that's a sign of respect, um, and, and a leader that actually tells a story about their flaws and people love to hear about a time you blew it, you know, they, they just love these stories. Uh, and so when we share them, we're not making ourselves look bad. We're actually sharing a story about a time we thought we'll never let that happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're being vulnerable. Uh, and so we're role modeling uh, uh, what respect look like looks like. It's not pretending that that you're you're everything. A lot of times people get get taught that you know being professional uh, is about you know always looking good, always being right. That's just being plastic. That's not professional. That's 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 pretending. That's fake. And so, um, uh, and there are things that are unprofessional, but, but there are a lot, there's a lot of in-between ground where you can be authentic, you can uh, have a laugh at yourself, uh, you, you can, you know, take a break and just be playful and, and have some humor. I mean, that humor is the number one way that I get people to admit their own mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it, it, if we get too serious, it's just not fun for anybody, <laughs> but if we have a laugh, um, then everybody can see themselves and realize that, you know, it's not a fatal flaw. And it helps with ecosystem. So in order for us not to be disrespectful to our participants, I want to get back to them. Oh, right. I was, <laughs> I actually, I was looking for to the, the chat section and I don't really see the questions. I wanted to encourage, actually at the beginning of our session, I said, please, please, please write your questions, but I don't see questions. So if there are questions, this is the yeah. right time for Get your you fingers ready, type us some questions. Yes. yes. So um, actually we are close to one hour. Anybody with the questions, the call for questions. Annette, it was amazing conversation. Uh, I find it very practical. Uh, for me as a project manager, and I see here my students also are attending this, and for anybody who is looking for a new job or new opportunity, the stories are something that shows you from the nutshell, I, I, I think. Uh, it shows your communication skill, also shows your uh, values and it builds bridges between you. So Annette, before we close the, the conversation, uh, we have a note from Georgi. Thank you very much, learned a lot. Could please provide us with some questions that could help us deep dive. Ah. 
Okay. Yeah. I, well, my favorite thing is these universal experiences. So instead of thinking that you're going to be able to know exactly what story goes where, let's just find some really good, good stories. Um, a story about integrity, what it means to you. Um, a story about your values uh, in action. So when did, if you have a value and you say I value excellence, what does that look like in action? What happened? Um, a story uh, about a time you blew it, very always going to be a good story. Um, a book or a movie, you can actually lift a scene for a book or a movie, like the people with Red Pill, Blue Pill did um, from The Matrix. That even is now a, a standard PowerPoint slide. I remember the first time right after The Matrix, I heard somebody use it. It was uh, Best Buy in uh, Las Vegas. They had 3,000 people for, that worked for Best Buy. And it was right after September 11th and retail sales were terrible. And so he came out and he said, do you want the blue pill or the red pill? You can, we can pretend like everything's fine or we can go down the rabbit hole and see how far it goes. And so within a second, he had turned this whole audience who was dreading the retail sales into excitement of, you know, finding how far down the rabbit hole goes. So books and movies are a great place to, to lift a story. If it's meaningful for you, it'll be meaningful for them. Great. And we have a question from Hillary. What type of content should a PM share on LinkedIn? Um, I don't really understand the question question linkedin is a platform that isn't necessarily your project management platform is that right well linkedin is a more social social yeah network. right yeah, uh, so uh, the question if i understood it correctly do we need to share our stories there uh, and what type of stories we could share on linkedin well um I tend to share stories that that uh, illustrate kindness. I like to share stories when uh, uh, you know a scapegoat was finally listened to and they found out that, that he was right all along. Mm -hmm. I share stories that are that are you know what are the norms I'd like to see out in the world. And also, frankly, what are the norms I want to cultivate in myself? By sharing something on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm making a statement to myself as well. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't tend to manipulate my persona uh, for a pur purpose. That's just not who I am. And mm -hmm. so for me, I don't have to look very hard. It's just if it's meaningful to me, um, I'm going to share it with other people. Right now, I, I'm uh, taking great risk. So my new book is called Different Well, um, Drinking from a Different Well, How Women's Stories Change What Power in Action Means. And so I'm talking about uh, a lot of the ways that women have been um, discredited as being like too emotional or unfocused. And the truth, and the truth is, is that, that we are managing multiple narratives. We aren't unfocused, we're multi-focused. And, and um, so these are the kind of stories I tell. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, one of my friends told me that multitasking is a source of the uh, uh, dimensions uh, 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 that we're doing. 
<laughs> it, it can mean lots of things, but but women we're 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 paying attention to whether the kids are okay, to whether the community you know is okay, to where the business people are okay, and then that guy we saw crying when when we walked in, we got to go find him and find out what's wrong with that. And 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 if we do all those things, we end up creating a much more collegial team. Um, they don't necessarily show up as task accomplished, uh, but checking in on someone who's who's obviously hurting uh, is a norm that that builds up psychological safety and and comp, uh, a, a more of a, a collegial uh, a, appreciation. Unbelievable! One hour has passed, and I have so many things to talk about, but we have like uh, used all the time. I want to thank you uh, for this very interesting conversation and stories you shared. Uh, I would like to thank all the participants who stayed until the end. And I would like to thank those who will be watching this uh, uh, YouTube uh, video. So uh, I would like to welcome all of you to our next uh, sessions that we will be hosting in January. And I want to wish you and everybody who I won't see a uh, happy new year and happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Thank happy Hanukkah. Too. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, be safe and take care. <laughs> yeah.